Good morning, church. Great to see you. My name is Greg Paris. Uh, I'm new here. <laughs> Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. It's uh, been a great morning so far, and we're very excited about the baptisms coming up in the picnic in just a little while. Uh, we have 25 people registered. Three more people agreed to uh, be baptized today. Uh, we've, we cultivated, we think, some more out of the 10 o'clock service uh, who actually made a first-time decision for Christ uh, in the last service. We're very excited about that. So having a, we're having a great morning. Let me just remind you about Wednesday this week. Wednesday night, we have a special vision night. There's a flyer near you on your seat. This is a uh, once-a-year event at Union Chapel where I like to talk to the people who we perceive are the most serious about their relationship with us, and I want to talk about the strategies that we're going to engage this fall. Uh, very powerful stuff, very important stuff that I think will transform a lot of lives. So I'm going to be talking about that on Wednesday. We don't put this online. It's just a, it's a private meeting for people who sign up to come. Uh, we'll start at 6.30. We're going to serve dessert. We need to know you're coming so we can buy enough cheesecake. If you're bringing your children and need child care, then let us know that number as well so you can go online and sign up for the Vision Night this Wednesday. We'll start at 6.30 sharp, and we will finish at 8 o'clock or before. And it should be a very exciting, fun, inspiring time. Hope you can make it. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah he uh, challenged the nation of Israel at this uh, point in the history of their relationship with God with a very important invitation. This is God's, God's plea, if you will, not only to the nation then, but continues to be relevant to our lives today. So he, Isaiah chapter 1, and I want to read three verses, 18 to 20. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thanks for doing that as you're able and God speaking to us now through the prophet says, come now, let us settle the matter or let's reason together. This, let's think this through. Let's talk this out. Let's, let's work on this. Let's get, let's get to it, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. May the Lord inspire and encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Businessman was driving down the road, and he felt something to his left. He looked down, and to his amazement, he saw a chicken running alongside of his car. It was kind of shocking. He looked down at the speedometer. He was going 60 miles an hour. This chicken was hauling. And then he looked at it again. He thought, that chicken has three legs. Well, the next little side road, the chicken hung a left, and the businessman was curious, followed the chicken down the road, and it came to a little farm, and the farmer came out, and the businessman got out of his car, and he said to the farmer, did you happen to see a chicken run by here? And the farmer said, yeah, I did. He said, he said that's one of our chickens. He said, did you, did you happen to notice, did that chicken have three legs? The farmer said, yeah. He said, uh, we breed them to have three legs. 
businessman said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, I've always liked the drumstick, and my wife likes the drumstick, and when Junior came along, he started liking the drumstick, and we just got tired of fighting over him. So we decided to breed our chickens to have three legs. Businessman said, well, are they, are they any good to eat? And the farmer says, well, I don't rightly know. We haven't been able to catch one yet. <laughs> this sermon is a summer sermon. It's brief. And each of the points are in three parts, starting with a three-legged chicken. Tomorrow, when someone asks you, what did the preacher preach about yesterday, you will say, a three-legged chicken. You probably won't remember anything else I say after describing a three-legged chicken, but that's just the price you pay for telling funny stories. We have a mission statement at Union Chapel. It has three key words in it. A mission statement, of course, is a simple, concise statement of why you exist as an organization. Ambitious, progressive-minded businesses and institutions all have a mission statement. If you are wise, you'll write a mission statement about your own life. I live in the world in order to. My purpose in life is. And then you, you write a mission statement. I have a mission statement personally. Union Chapel has a mission statement. Now, let me ask you a question. If I were to call on you right now, just call you by name and ask you to give us Union Chapel's statement of mission, could you do it? And I'm not going to call on anyone, so be relieved. But how many by show of hands could tell me what our mission statement is? Well, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty strong section right over there. That's, I think, I think uh, proportionally, you may be the winners uh, all morning long. More people know the mission statement here than any other group. Yeah, there are about 15% of you who know it, and that's impressive. The, the three words associated with our mission statement, there's just three, we, we, we boil it down to three words. And the three, as soon as I say them, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I knew that. So here they are. The first word is know. We want to help people know Jesus Christ, develop a personal relationship with him. The second word is grow. We want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. And the third word is go. Notice they all rhyme and they are short, single syllable making it as easy and as simple for people to remember as possible. The last word is go. Go telling others or go helping others to find Jesus. Know, grow, go. You got it? If I were to ask you, do you routinely or regularly see these three words? The answer is yes. Every weekend worship services... Before the singing starts, we put this beautifully produced video on the big screen, lovely pictures and images of our people and our children, and it's wonderful, and then these words come up. The words know and grow and go. It's spectacular. I, I know that you've just been watching it intently, 
and receive the message so that it's ingrained in your mind. We have a big display out in the lobby around no, grow, and go. There's a, there's a United, uh, Union Chapel symbol there with no, grow, go. Now, we also have something we call the UC3, Union Chapel 3. These are three practices which we encourage everyone associated with our church to engage around these three motivations for ministry. No, grow, go. We say under the no, the best way to know Jesus at Union Chapel is to attend the worship services. So come to church. Attend a service. Know Jesus. The best way to know Jesus. The second, under grow, is we've discovered the best way to grow in your relationship with God is in the context of authentic community. As it turns out, God has called us all to be in Christian community. And so the best way to do that around here is to join a small group. So under grow, we simply use the phrase, join a small group. So are you following so far? Knowing God is attend a service. Growing in our relationship with Jesus is attend a small group, join a small group. And the last one, go, is simply volunteer to serve, either in a ministry area in the church or a mission activity outside of the church, volunteer to serve. Are you following this? Everything in three, three parts. No, grow, go. Know Jesus by attending services. Grow by joining a small group. And go volunteering to serve. We are convinced that if everyone in association with our church actually attends worship services on a regular basis, joins a small group, and volunteers to serve, these are the key components, ingredients, if you will, to grow your spiritual life, to enhance your faith, and to become the person that God wants you to be. Your Christian character will grow and develop in the context of these meaningful practices. That's it. There's not a fourth thing. There are just three. So, so far we have a three-legged chicken. (laughs) Just in summary. (laughs) We have a three-point mission statement, no, grow, go. And we have three practices. Come to church, join a small group, volunteer to serve. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of our time, brief time, is I want to emphasize this no portion of the no, grow, go and talk about this attend a service, why it's meaningful and helpful. I'm going to share some points with you about that. How many would you guess there there are going to be? Very good. There are three. Just three. The first one, if you look on the screen, is... (laughs) Have you ever... Have you ever been in a public setting where you were talking and it felt like you were talking to yourself? That happens to me all the time. Here's number one. Look on the screen. Public worship connects us to God. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Let me, let me share with you a wonderful promise. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. This is one of the great promises of the New Testament. This comes from Jesus himself. If you have one of those Bibles where Jesus' words are in red letters, this is red letters. Jesus makes this beautiful promise, and he says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. How cool is that? That is just the greatest promise. That is, so, that is so cool. Because as it turns out, when we're together, 
in corporate worship like we are right now, Jesus is actually here. He promised to be here where two or three are gathered. And so the presence of God is here, the person of the Holy Spirit, and it's wonderful. The longer you have been part of the corporate worship of God in your life, maybe for some of you it's been many years or decades like me, what will happen to you is you will, you will, you will actually somewhat take for granted the presence of God in corporate worship. You show up every week, you're, you, practice, you practice this important aspect of your faith, and you experience the presence of God in corporate worship, and it's, it's, it's familiar to you. And so you're accustomed to it, and you may get casual about it, maybe more casual than is appropriate, but that can happen to us. Something else also happens, and I get to observe this as a leader, is when new people and folks who maybe haven't experienced God in corporate worship very much in their lives or at all, they start enjoying the church, and they come to a meaningful faith, and they start attending. It's interesting to listen to them try to find the words to explain what happens to them. Because they will, they will walk in the building or I'll see them casual and they say, you know, I've been coming to Union Chapel for a while. And then you watch them start searching. And they will say things like, I just, I just always feel better when I come to church. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but it's so encouraging to me to be in the worship services. Uh, I, I've, I've been having a rough time in my life, but, you know, just, just driving onto your campus, suddenly I, I feel like peace. I have a sense of hope. Maybe things are going to work out. And folks search for words to try to explain the experience they have, and what they're, what they're explaining is you're experiencing the presence of God. How many of you believe with me that anything that connects us meaningfully to the presence of God, that's a good thing? That is a good thing. Lord, I need more of you. I need your presence. I need your peace. I need your assurance. I need your hope in my life. Listen, life is hard. I'm confused. I'm stumbling around here. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I need to know what God thinks. And corporate worship connects us with God, the things of God, the ways of God, the words of God. Today in America, this is really good. Someone said that was good on the front. I said, you're right. This is really good. I'm agreeing with them. Today in America, committed Christian people, people like you, maybe me, committed Christian people average one and a half times of attendance per month in their church. These are the highly committed Christians, one and a half times. That's their average. One and a half those are the highly committed. It's not a good sign, is it? Not a good sign. I said on Father's Day just a handful of weeks ago that there's a question that a father should never hear in his household from his children, and the question they should never hear is, Dad, are we going to church today? It should never come up. Well, I have more to say about that Wednesday at the vision time. So public worship connects us to God. Second of all, public worship inspires us to faithful living. Faithful living. 
Look on the screen in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a passage that's often referred to in this context. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love, good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are the habit of doing. In other words, you can have a bad habit by not showing up, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Wonder what that phrase means, the day approaching. What day? Well, this is like the day or like the last day or some dramatic day in the future. As you say the day approaching, I don't know about you, and maybe this is a product of my age, I don't know, but it just seems to me that the day uh, that dramatic day, like the last day, it seems a lot closer to me right now than it has ever before in my life. And as I look around at the world and at our own culture, I'm just thinking, whoa, something dramatic is probably going to need to happen. And so God reminds us through the writer of Hebrews that as you see it, that day, you know, that kind of an ominous period of time in the world, as you see that day approaching, you should not fail to assemble yourselves together to encourage one another and to support one another and to be there for one another because this is, the, this is a good habit and actually inspires you to more faithful living. So there it is. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I love this. Two are better than one. This is Solomon. Two are better than one. That's the theme because they have a good return. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Pity anyone who falls has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So the theme is two are better than one. And then these examples, which we all identify with very easily. But the last phrase is an interesting one. It kind of moves away from the value of two and reminds us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, quickly broken. And of course, this is a reference to the presence of God in a relationship. This is often referred to in the context of marriage where you have a covenant between a man and a woman and you add the presence of Christ into that relationship and it becomes very strong, very durable. And of course, we celebrate that. So here's Ecclesiastes, this wise man Solomon reminding us that it's better when we do it together. We're better when we do it together. There are all kinds of benefits to that. And so gather yourself together in public worship. It will inspire faithful living. Amen. Now here's a third thing, last point here. We'll bring this in for a landing. Public worship ennobles us for a higher purpose. So it connects us to God and it inspires us to fruitful living and it ennobles us for a higher purpose. I love the word ennoble. I love that word. I, I, you know, I like the word nobility. Doesn't that, doesn't that feel strong? Um, it's, it's, it's like dignified. You know, it's like substantial. I mean, we don't use the word noble enough, nobility enough in our, in our vernacular. How many times do you hear a woman characterized? Now, there's a woman of noble character. We just, we just, we don't say that. We don't hear that said very often. There are such women. There are such men who operate their lives with all kinds of integrity and nobility. You know, they live honorably. They love God and they do the right things. This is a noble person. People ask me occasionally what my favorite verse of scripture is. And I do have a favorite scripture. I'm going to share it with you in just a second. My wife's favorite 
verse in the Bible is Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a popular one. Some people just refer to John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he, he gave his son. My favorite verses in the, in the Bible are in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 9 and 10 on the screen. But you, talking about us, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, let me just, let me just say what all of us would have intuitively an awareness for. If, if you live, if you've spent a lot of time in Muncie, Delaware County over the years, maybe you grew up here, thinking of yourself as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people special for God's own possession, it may not occur to you. Just like the words nobility and dignity and all that may not occur to you. Look, I'm from Muncie. We, t- we tend to undervalue our potential. That's just my observation after having lived here 40 years. <laughs> and so we have to we have to think of ourselves the way God thinks about us. And the reason I love this passage of Scripture is it reminds us who we are. We're a chosen people. God picked us. How special is that? Chosen of God. A royal priesthood. That can be broken down into all kinds of interesting insights. You could spend some time on that. But just trust me when I say it's a big deal a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is a bit like a people set apart, set completely distinct from, for God's own possession. We belong to God. In other, in other words, God's called us. We're, we're a holy people. We're a, we're a unique tribe of people. We're, we're closely associated to God. We're all snuggled up close to God. We belong to him. We're his possession. Now, when we finally come to terms with that, realize who we are and the significant potential we have because of our close association with God, now we can perhaps more boldly and confidently engage what God asks us to do, which is the latter part of this, this, this passage, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So now we're in touch with the message, not only who we are, but the message we are to proclaim, we are a unique people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession with the express purpose and mission to give praise to the God who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It goes on to say, for once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Glory to God. We know who we are, and we know the purpose for which we live. It's an amazing thing. And so when we gather together corporately for worship, it ennobles us for those higher purposes. It reminds us of who who we are and the potential we have in God and sets our feet on a course to fulfill the call of God and the purpose of God in the world. So when you say dignity or nobility of character, uh, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of person I want all of us to be. So we, we live indeed with virtue. Think about this. Virtue and goodness and honor and decency and integrity 
and generosity and selflessness. These are the qualities and characteristics of a man or woman who, who understands who they are and is living out the, the, the reality of who they are in a noble way, influencing the world around them. I think corporate worship helps people with their nobility. I'm convinced we will all leave this, this service today more noble than we came in. I mean, just compare it to staying at home. Laying in bed or looking out the window or watching something on TV. Compare it to that. So public worship, and again, in the Union Chapel model, to know God, best way to know God around here is to come to church. And so that will connect us with God. It will inspire us to fruitful living. And it will ennoble us for higher purposes. Now let's go back to our original verse. We'll be done. Isaiah 1.18. It says, come now, let us reason together. Let's sort this out. And what Isaiah then says is that God notices your life. It has lots of flaws. There are lots of sins there. Describes them in colors, crimson. And, and dark and dirty. And then contrast them. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like snow, white as snow, or as wool. So this beautiful, purified image. And so this is the invitation. This is the appeal. This is, what, this is how God reaches out to us. Come, and let us re- come now, let us reason together. Let's sort this out. Though your sins are dark and destructive in your life, they can be forgiven and your life can be healed in body, mind, and soul. And you can be like white as snow. This is a great invitation. It's a wonderful promise. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. This is a New Testament concept, the same version, New Testament perspective. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Are you weary? Are you burdened? You can find rest. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Love that. It's, it's so compelling, so beautiful, so wonderful, such a... Such not only an appeal, not just an invitation, but almost like a plea. I plead with you. Come to, the, come to the water that God supplies. I plead with you. Bring all of your burdens and cares, your weariness to him. He'll give you rest. A few years ago, we were having one of those events that we've had many times over the years, a, a youth event with lots of teenagers, junior and senior high kids, and God's spirit was moving, and these kids were serious about connecting with God. And there was a group of kids over in the other building. It was in the front of the altar there, and they were seeking God in prayer earnestly and lots of tears. And I was just kind of lingering there, trying to be helpful to anyone. And a, and a young girl, she was maybe 12 or 13, just, just a, a young student, precious, 
She stood up from a season of prayer. Her face was wet with tears, and she walked straight over to me. I watched her get up, and I walked her walk, walk straight over to me, and she said something that I will never forget. She looked straight into my eyes and just as, with as much sobriety and sincerity as she could possibly mustard, she said these words to me. She said, never in my life have I felt love like this. My first thought when she said it was that's unfortunate because someone as precious as you should feel love like this every day of your life. There should be someone in your life telling you how sweet and precious and lovable you are every day. And then the second thought I had was, thank God. She may not, she not, may not be in a place in her home or whatever that she, she can feel love, but she's felt it now. And she'll never be the same again because she's tasted of the love of God through the Spirit of God and the people of God. So great. I grew up in a very small town, about 1,000 people. One of my neighbors uh, was a boyhood friend. His name was Larry. Larry and I were friends and classmates, teammates. He was a pretty good athlete, and we were good, good buddies. We went to the same little Methodist church in my hometown, less than 100 people in our church, but both of our families attended there, and so we'd see each other at church. There was a special weekend event in the fall of 1971. I was 16, my friend Larry was 17, and we found ourselves in, at this special weekend on a Friday night together at church. And we heard some people share their testimonies to give a witness of their faith. And then we were dismissed, all the kids were dismissed down to the basement of the church and we were circled up in some chairs. There was about 17 or 18 of us. And the coordinator of that little session asked us all to go around the circle and describe our relationship with God. How would you describe your relationship with God? Well, that was very awkward. It was, it was embarrassing because I didn't have a relationship with God. I thought, describe my relationship with God. I don't have a relationship with God. Of course, and it got to me and I said, I, you know, I'm sorry. I you know, I've been in church my whole life, but I don't, I don't know anything about God. By the way, that's a convicting statement right there for the church. What do you mean you grew up in a church you don't know anything about God? How's that possible? Well, it's possible. And it's not because I was stubborn and obstinate and not interested. It's because, well, got to Larry. He said about the same thing. Then one of the kids, you know, it's like a middle school kid. One of, you know, we all knew each other from a small town. I mean, we grew up together. One of these squirts just says out loud, well, Jesus has given me his love and I'm going to go upstairs to the sanctuary and I'm going to give Jesus my love. He's given me his love. 
I'm going to give him my love. Dave, is that you? And David stood up and walked to where the staircase went up to the sanctuary. And then another person got up and another person got up. And now some of the kids were starting to weep and, and one by one, and they all got up and left until it was just Larry and me sitting there. It was quiet. Finally, I stood up, and Larry stood up, and I turned to Larry, and I said, I guess I'm just going to go upstairs. Everybody else went upstairs. I guess I'll go upstairs. He looked at me, and he said, I guess I'll just go home. And I went this way and up the stairs, and Larry went that way and up the stairs and out the door. I got to the top of the stairs, and it just happened to be in the location right at the front of the church, and I began to walk across the front of the church, and all of these childhood friends of mine were at the altar of the church, and they were praying, and some of them were weeping. My sister was there. I just kept walking all the way down to the other end, and as I, as I walked along all of that, that scene, all I could think of was, I don't know God, and I'm not comfortable with that. It's not right that I don't know God. And I got down to the very end of this little kneeling rail, this altar rail, and there was one spot left. And I just knelt down there. And I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was lost, just lost. I, I bowed my head because, you know, I just thought, well, just wait here a while, see what happens. And in just a few moments, a warm hand came on top of mine. I looked up, and it was a man whose name is George Wicks. And George was kind of the leader of this weekend event. And he asked me a simple question. He says, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And I said, no. I don't know him. He said, would you let me help, help you find him? I said, yes. And just very carefully, he told me about Jesus and then reassured me that if I prayed a prayer, a sincere prayer, to ask Jesus to forgive me and he would come into my life and change my life. And he said, would you like to do that? And I said, yes. And he led me in a simple prayer. And it changed my life. After that, amazing things were happening with this little youth group. We had about 15 kids in this youth group. And two years later, we had 75 kids showing up at the youth group. It was a move of God. It was revival. I could spend the rest of the day telling you stories, amazing stories, miraculous stories of things that God was doing. And I was right there in the middle of it and leading most of it. And it was just amazing. And I still befriended Larry, and we were still close, and we were still teammates and all of that stuff. But Larry never stepped in. He never came back. He knew something was going on. He could see it, and he could hear about it. But he never came in. He never stepped in. He never chose to come in. 
It's amazing to me that leading a church like this, and now for decades, we've seen the Spirit of God moves so beautifully and lives being changed. I mean, I just said we're going to baptize about 30 people in about a half an hour. And it's just amazing. We shouldn't take that for granted. That's like a miracle. You know, for someone to present themselves for baptism, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to give a public witness to my determination to follow Jesus the rest of my life by engaging in this sacred act of baptism. I want to be faithful to God and I want to live for Jesus. And I'm bold enough and courageous enough to do that publicly. That's amazing. That's a miracle. A wonderful thing. So so what fascinates me in, in Christian leadership, when all of this is happening all the time, I mean, it's obvious that God is available, that he's willing to meet you. All you have to do is take the step, say yes to the invitation. God's pleading with you. Come to faith. Join the family. This is what's best for you. This is my love for you. I'm a merciful God. I'll forgive you of everything. And this is, the, this is the position of God. And people step back and go, no thanks. Not now. Not me. Don't think so. Isaiah said, come now. Let's reason together. He didn't say come next week, come tomorrow, come next year. You know, and some, there are some folks, I know what you do. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to mess up my life, and I've got plans of my own, and I like to do what I like to do, and, and I, I'll just wait until I know I'm getting close to dying. As soon as I'm getting close, I know what to do, so I'll just wait until I know I'm really going to close to being dead, and I'll get right with God, and everything will be fine. What is the matter with you? My wife and I say this out loud to ourselves all the time. If, if, there, if nothing in eternity was promised to us, if following Jesus meant there's no hope for the future after we die, that we both agree that we would still follow Jesus. There is no, no promise of heaven, no promise of eternity, eternity with him. If none of that was there, we would still choose to follow Jesus in the here and now because this is the best way to live. This is, the, this is the best way to live. This is where life is found. This is it. And the question, what are you waiting for? Three years later, I was at the university. I was a freshman there, and the phone rang one evening. It was my dad on the phone, and he gave me this tragic news. Larry has been killed. He was in a trucking accident, and he died. And I thought, everybody has to choose. Everybody has to decide. God's not going to force himself into anyone's life. He won't. He makes the invitation. He gives the plea. But everyone has to choose. Now, I don't know where Larry is today. I don't know where he is, and neither do you. But I do know that you have to say yes to the love and grace of God that's offered to us. Here's what I think. I think this is the, your day for some of you. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, today. I believe right now is your moment. God knows it. I know it. And I think you know it. And I want to help you. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for these wonderful promises 
And that if we'll put into practice these simple steps, that you will meet us in beautiful, meaningful, powerful ways. We'll never be the same. Now I pray for anyone in the room and within the sound of my voice online, folks who have resisted or rebelled or spurned God's plea. Dear one, the God we serve is rich in mercy, long-suffering and patient toward you. And he makes his plea once again, even in this moment. Today's your day. This is your moment. Come right now and let's reason together and let's settle this issue. If you're in the room today and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, to say, Lord, I, I, want, I want Jesus in my life. I want to take this step the pastor's been talking about this morning. Would you, would you just raise your hand? Good for you, honey. Yes, yes, ma'am. That's good. Raise your hand and keep it up for me. Thank you, honey. So good. So good. Yes, sir. Now, I want you, I'm going to ask you to do something I, that we typically don't do, but I want to do it today. I just feel like it's a special moment. And I'd like for those of you who raised your hand to say yes to Jesus and his offer of life, I'd like for you just to stand. This, no one's really looking around much. Just stand to your feet where you are. That's all, I'm, that's all you need to do. There you go. So good. Good for you, honey. So proud of you. It takes courage to do this. Following Jesus requires courage. If you think not, then being a Christian is not for you. So proud of all of you. Wonderful. Now I'd like everyone to stand. Everyone to stand. Just in unison now. Remember my friend George Wicks? He prayed for me when I was 16. Help me. I'm going to pray for you. So I'm going to pray. You pray out loud after me. Everyone do it together in support of those who've stood to their feet. And we'll believe that God will hear this prayer. He never turns a deaf ear to this prayer when it's sincere. Trust, trust me when I say it. God is faithful. Are you ready? Right after me out loud. Ready? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. Thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood so that I might live. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence and your power so that I might live for you every day of my life. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. It now belongs to you. And now you are mine. Thank you for all you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now clap your hands for people who have made the decision today. So good. So good, so good. Now, we have places to kneel and pray here at the front. If you have other needs in your life or special prayer, do you sense God's presence today? Just want to invite you as we have our closing song, if you need extra prayer, that you can come to the front and do that if you're comfortable with that. So God bless you as we sing.